0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sea Change, the podcast series by CICK News, all about seaweed and kelp along British Columbia's coast. So far in the series, we've spoken to Nancy J. Turner, ethnobotanist, linguist, anthropologist, she's a lot of ists, Daphne Romero Salazar, filmmaker, food scientist, and harvester in Haida Gwaii, Louis Drool, the godfather of seaweed cultivation, also a botanist, and after which a type of seaweed has been named Drulago Conita. And last episode, we spoke with educator, GitGat Band counselor, father, fisher, and all-around swell guy, Cam Hill. Well today I'm very happy to introduce you to my guest. She's also an educator, a mother, GitGat Nation member, and wife of my last interviewee, Eva Hill. This episode is a little different. When I met Eva, she was nervous to be interviewed, but agreed when Cam convinced her that I was okay. Boy, did I fool them both. This podcast is about the coast of British Columbia and the way that people live on it. Eva's perspective is one that actually kind of fell in my lap, and I'm so thankful to have that addition, that of someone who just lives, doesn't study or wax philosophical about the relationship of kelp to people. She just goes out there and lives it. In this episode of Sea Change, you'll hear Eva's stories of her children and husband, and of picking seagull eggs for her father-in-law, stories of her relationship to the water, and the food sources that fueled her as a child, and then the experience of raising her own child from the land and sea. This episode is one of my favorite conversations to go back to, because Eva painted a very clear picture of place. I feel more secure in understanding the landscape of Hartley Bay, and how, as a child, You made use of every stick and creek and field, a place where imagination roams freely and stories are a language all their own. Sea Change is a podcast production of CICK News in Smithers, British Columbia. I'm Pam Hassan, and this is Episode 5. My name's Eva Hill.
1: My husband is Cameron Hill. We've been married for about 30, well, coming up to 30 years now. And um, my parents are Chris and Yvonne Bolton. They are both from Hartley Bay. My grandparents on my mother's side are Simon and Gooley Reese, also in Hartley Bay. And on my father's side, um, Fred and Jesse Bolton. And so I'm a teacher at the Hartley Bay School, which is what I always wanted to do. And when they were doing interviews for this course, I was a little worried because one of the questions was, Would you be willing to go to another First Nations community to teach? And I didn't know if I'd be getting in because I said, Well, no, I'm I'm doing this because I wanna go home and I wanna teach in my own home. I don't wanna go to another community leastwise even moved down to Vancouver to do this, but um so I was t- I told Cameron afterwards, Well, he's like, Well, you should have just said you're gonna you're willing to do anything and I'm just like
0: but I'm not yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh. um so <sighs> tell me Eva did you um because you're from Hartley Bay what has your relationship been in your lifetime to the water uh,
1: it's it's because of where we are um the water is a big part of everyone in Hartley Bay's life. We do our fishing, we gather our our, uh, shellfish, we do cockles, clams, Um, we have a river right in our bay, and I remember as a kid with my cousins walking up the river and catching fish with our hands, taking it home, cooking it up, so as a kid here, everything was, you were outside and just doing things with people whoever was doing the harvesting and stuff
0: did your kids get to have the same sort of upbringing too just kind of a free a free range childhood uh
1: they did uh, well you know what we included them whenever we were doing anything so if me and my husband were going out trolling they'd be out trolling with us on the boat um whenever we go out like my father-in-law loves seagull eggs and so we would always so the first week of June we'd have to and and it's quite a ways away it's almost like 40 minutes to an hour on a fast speed boat, which we have so we'd have to go out and look on the rocks and a lot of the time it's been rough <laughs> so my kids didn't quite enjoy that as much as we did because a lot of the times if we're going out it's usually it ends up being low tide or um, windy weather on the outside so it was always rough and yeah my kids did not like being on a boat in the rough. i remember it, one of the saddest times for my my little boy and he always kind of came with us out in the boat but one of the saddest times for him so it was rough we were on, we were he was gonna well my husband asked if he if he, he should get off the boat and check the rock or if I would and so with the big swells and the wind I'm like no I'm not going to stay on the boat and look after the boat you will do that i will get off so he has to time it right to let me off on the rocks. and mind you this is on the outside of our territory so it is rough um so he'd have to time it and then he'd tell me okay you get ready to jump so okay that's all fine so i jump off i go up run around on the big slippery rocks collecting the seagull eggs and i love it but it is dangerous. <laughs> and um, so <laughs> after I fill up my buckets, I am slowly making my way down so I don't slip with them and all this. And it, the swell seem to have gotten bigger. And so he's getting, my husband's getting ready to get me onto the boat and he's timing it. So he'll slow, he'll make his way to the rock and, time it so that I could get on and then he could back out pretty quick. But one of the swells uh, sort of came in quicker than he'd timed. So our boat almost um, went stern down into the water because the swell was so big and the bow was caught, was actually caught on a rock. There's a little, we had a little tie up hook thing there. And my son, I just looked on there, and my son—I don't know how old he would have been, maybe ten—and he's just looking up at me because I'm looking down at them, and he's just got his hands covering his eyes, and you could tell that he was worried about me trying to jump on the boat when the boat's like that in the water. And I'm like, "Oh God!" And can't—well, camp- I knew better not to try, but <laughs> we had to. We had to thank goodness another swell came in and righted the boat and I just jumped on when the boat started to level off and push out with it and it's just crazy you you have to you have to know what you're doing on a boat or else you could get squashed in between the rock and the boat depending on what the weather is what the tide is and what the wave action is
0: yeah um when you um when you go seaweed picking, um, what's the actual way that you do it? Do you do it with the, um, the the like the pole with the hook, and you do that like sort of winding motion, or how do you how do you pick seaweed?
1: No, we actually get off on the rocks. Oh, so okay. Usually. And we only do that. So it's only at low tide Mm -hmm. and we always look for the lowest tide to go out because sometimes it's still covered if it's not low enough. So we go out in the low tide and if it's nice enough, whether he might be able to keep the boat on the rock whereby, but most of the time it's not nice enough weather because the swells were like, we can't get seaweed right in Hartley Bay. We have to go out in our territory to get it. And so, so we have to travel a bit. And um, so he, he would let us, my husband would let me and the kids off or my mother-in-law or my mom, whoever's out with us, my brothers, we always take them out. So he'd let us off the boat And sometimes we all couldn't get off, like at once, he'd have to pull out because of the swells and then try to let them back in. Or else he'd take me to one spot and he'd drop them off in the next bay or the next rock. And then we'd sort of just spread out and start picking like that. And um, we'd pick by hand. And I, I like to just pick as quick as I can. Um, because it's do- it seems like it doesn't take long, and the tide's starting to come in already, mm-hmm. so I just pick as quick as I can and make piles, and then I go with my sack and just fill my sack by pulling putting all the piles that I've made into the sack right and then find a good spot where he's gonna pick us up again,
0: okay. I read tr- um that there was sort of a traditional way that it was women who did the harp who did. The harvesting, and it was that eventually, and especially with more of like the invent of speedboats, then men started to um, participate in harvesting um, seaweed. But this is more up north in Haida. Is that how it's in Kit Kat, It sounds though like it's always been a collection of men and women. Is that true? Uh, as far as I know, that's
1: true because. Um, uh, I- like you were talking about Helen earlier.
0: She's speaking of GitGat elder Helen Clifton, of whom was a big inspiration for this project, and most especially a co-authored paper by her and episode one interviewee Nancy J. Turner called Project Muse about the harvesting of seaweed in the GitGat Nation.
1: Um, her and her husband, uh, I know all their Like, my uncles, they all went picking. So as far as I know, we've always, men and women, um, but I know it's Mm -hmm. the women who do the chopping. I don't remember ever seeing a man doing it. Yeah. Yeah, And I know, like, I used to have, and I still do, there's a couple of seaweed on our rocks that we go to, and I know there's one that's wider and thicker, and we don't usually, we don't try to pick that one. But I know when I pick, I sometimes have that mixed
0: in with my the right kind. And um, I think they call it spaula. Is it La La uh, Is, it, Is that the one that you want? We want plus. Okay, uh,
1: mm-hmm. that's
0: what we call it here. So in
1: j- just like even though it might be a Shimshian group, sometimes different. Sometimes we all have a just a slightly different way of saying what it right. is so like the seaweed we want to pick is called flask and um it it'd be just like with cameron so he he always went out herring with his grandfather and they do that in kikala mm-hmm. and so um he brought in sea urchin for his grandmother and we were in Controupet at the time. And th- oddly enough, the only thing I'm allergic to in our food is the sea urchin. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so so she was eating that. And I tried a piece, but I could just feel my throat closing oh, no. and my tongue getting big. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think I should eat this. But um, he said, I brought you in some jaguets. And she goes, Oh, you've been out to Katala too long. It's jaguets. Oh, <laughs> So it's just a slight variation in how you pronounce it from different communities. Can you tell me,
0: how do you spell um, spool? spool? Am I saying that right?
1: Okay. Well, I I could tell you how I, so spa is just Uh S-P-A, and ula, ula is seal, and it's, that's what we say for seal in our language, and it's just
0: you. It's actually a dotted U oh. dotted U L a dotted U dotted U L a. Okay, cool. I'm a, I'm a bit of a word nerd. So I like, uh, I like knowing the, the spellings and then what, what kind of how words break down. But, um, yeah. but I have to, I have to ask cause I'm so curious. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone eating a seagull egg. How do you cook? Like, what does it taste like and what's the best way to eat it? <laughs> so it's, You know what?
1: It's a a little bit fishy. It's definitely different from a chicken egg, but it's got sort of um, a stronger taste to it. Uh, And it's bigger. And Mm -hmm. my father-in-law, I love going to get it from my father-in-law, but he, uh, he would boil them. But he also had them fried just like a chicken egg, You'd fry them okay. boil them um, and if you use them for baking as our people did use too,
0: um, your cake would be orange because of the yolk. Oh wow yeah so okay cool and I don't know why I would have thought they'd be smaller but bigger than a chicken oh, egg okay that's they're yeah they're bigger. What's your favorite way to eat seaweed? Oh my goodness you
1: know what? I, I prefer to have it fried or chopped. Mm -hmm. And I'm not
0: saying roasted's not bad,
1: but I, I would rather have it fried or chopped.
0: Can you describe um, seaweed camp to me? Because it is a, it's a term that, um, that I've heard, uh, that I've heard you mention in some of my other interviews I've mentioned as well, but could you describe what camp is like to me?
1: We used to just go down on the weekends because of our, all of us working in the school. And mm-hmm. I, if I have to say, the one good thing that came out of COVID when it first started was how everything shut down, schools, and I, that was the first time in my life, and I'm 50 years old, that I spent most of May in our camp, and I loved it. So we would, we would set halibut gear. Um, we'd have to cut the halibut once we got it, and then we'd sun dry it. But it, mm-hmm. it's a, it takes a few days to do the process. Um, but we also would pick the seaweed, dry it on the rocks and store it until we take it home. Because previous to that, Since we'd only go down on the weekends, we were never down when it was beautiful weather, sun-drying weather, and be able to dry our seaweed on the rocks. So what our Mm -hmm. family used to do is we'd pick our seaweed, take it here to Hartley Bay, and put it in the freezer. And then in June, when we'd start getting the good weather, hot weather, then we just we had cedar boards that his grandfather had made and um, they're big cedar squares or whatever and we would spread our seaweed on that put it in the sun in the morning uh, before we go to school and then about one or two in the afternoon we'd flip our squares over and so they're done by five and then we just put them in the seaweed sheets and store them in a tight dry area.
0: Is May the least rainy month then in Hartley Bay? Because mm-hmm. I know that you, you get about five meter. I heard, I read about five meters annually of rain. This is crazy. The, the last
1: couple of years, we've had tons of rain. Usually you can, you'd say our rainy season would be the fall months. But the last couple of years, we've had rain in every single season and it's nuts like our summer last year wasn't even that hot
0: i love learning about every kind of aspect of how people live with their live in their surroundings and support their environment as well so this has been so cool to get these more personal stories so this is nice actually to have like (laughs) Someone oh, laughing crazy. at herself and telling me personal <laughs> stories. That's great. <laughs> oh well, um,
1: my my children. So, we. I know you were talking. I heard Cam mention kelp. So my yep. mother in law does the amazing pickled kelp. And so in June, also, uh, once in, she doesn't do it every year, um, she'll get Cam to go and pick help when it's just like when it's growing not when it's finished Mm -hmm. growing because then they're too hard um and then Uh she pickles them so she did this a couple of years ago and my kids were like what is that smell what is going on because they couldn't believe how stink it smelled (laughs) but they don't smell like but like the process was a terrible smell but they don't smell or taste like that once she has the finished product. So she pickles, and it's just like pickles.
0: Before I go, I want to share a story that Eva told me, which was this spooky, otherworldly tale of life by the sea in a remote community on the Pacific coast. I love scary stories. I love ghost stories, haunted houses, the works. Eva shared this with me, and I want to leave you with her retelling of her encounter with the Otter People or Kushtaka, the mythical shape shifting creatures of the Klingit peoples of the Pacific Northwest Coast.
1: So, I know you were talking about stories. So, I'm mm-hmm. gonna. This is the spookiest thing that's really ever happened to me. So, um, and I, I easily get spooked out. I told my husband if we ever buy a house anywhere else, the first question i want to know is, is are there ghosts if there's ghosts i don't want the house yeah <laughs> but <laughs> so this this happened probably over 30 years ago i guess um mm-hmm. so we ran down to kiel in a speed boat to pick seaweed and um there's there's an island that's across from our Kiel, from Kiel, and it's called Ashdown. And um, so my husband left, he got me and his dad off in one little bay, and then his mom and his sister and another teacher at the time around the point in another little bay. And then my my husband cam took my little brothers jesse and james their twins to another little section just so that we it'd be quicker picking and spread out Mm -hmm. so we were doing that and um my father-in-law we were going to come around a little point in the rock and it was just a tiny little narrow ledge and he was worried that i might slip in so he told me it might be better if i go up over the over the rocks and then come down on the other side. And that that's fine. Like back then I no problem getting off on rocks and running around or whatever, but it was quite a steep incline. So so I got down and I was just sort of sliding down on my butt trying to get down this steep rock. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I stopped. And I didn't I didn't look behind me, but I told my, I hollered down, I said, Ernie, and he goes, yeah, I said, I think there's something behind me, and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, I could hear breathing, but it's right behind me, and my back is basically to the rock, and you know when you watch scary movies and you hear the, <sighs> oh, yeah like every time I do it like the hair on my neck is standing up (laughs) just because I could still hear it in my head and my hair side he goes you get down here as quick as you can I didn't even care I just slid down that rock (laughs) and I did not look behind me because as a kid like we're all told about the odd people and as a kid like when we go picking my mom's like don't you think about anybody in the bush and because the otter people they could they could for some reason they could see in your mind who you're thinking about and then they will pretend to be that person so that they could try to take you away and i was just freaked I just slid down that rock. I didn't even care if I went in the water or anything at that point. And then we hollered hollered for Cam to come and get us. And and my heart was still pounding. And so then he picked me and his dad up. And we went to pick Mm -hmm. up his mom and my sister-in-law. And his mom gets on and you go, she's like, the weirdest thing happened. She Ugh. goes, Me and Jody, that's Cam's sister, could hear whispering. We could hear people talking, but there was no one there, and it was like a whisper. So they just threw rocks, because that's another thing. Just throw rocks if you hear something like that. And mm-hmm. um, so, but that was just so weird. That's that terrifying. We both. We both encountered some sort of strange thing. And to tell you the truth, I told Cameron, I said, I am never coming back here to pick seaweed again. Which which turned out to be a lie. Two years ago, he got me to go back. (laughs) (laughs) But that's
0: how long it took. Thank you again for listening to Sea Change. This show was hosted and produced by me, Pam Hassan, for CSCK News. Thank you so, so much to Eva Hill. And I'm so excited for this pandemic to be over so that we can meet in person. This podcast can be heard on CICK News, CICK Fresh on Sundays, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for CICK News.